All right, well, good morning. Um, as Marshall already said, my name is Wayne Logan. Um, I work for Campus Outreach here at UK, so I've been around for a long time. Um, it's been a joy to be a member of this church for several years, and for most of y'all, um, I think I've met you at least once. Um, it's really exciting that there are many that I haven't, though. So uh, I'm thankful to the Lord that He has continued to grow um, our covenant community here, and thankful to be able to be here this morning. Normally, I'm sitting over here somewhere, I'm just being fed by Marshall and the rest of our leaders and all those men that Marshall mentioned before. Um, what he said is very true. I am very much the end of the bench. Um, the good news is the bench is shrinking. So that's how I'm getting here. Um, it's not that I am getting any better than anyone else. It's that uh, everyone else is leaving to go getting called up to the big league. So you are lucky to have me this morning because you'll be reminded how great and uh, how great it is to have someone like Marshall preach every week. So... Uh, my wife is here. Most of you have met her if you have children in particular because she is the new nursery coordinator. So her and Megan Nesbitt are up there um, taking care of all your children every week. So um, she is definitely the better half of our marriage and far more important than I am to the flourishing of this church. So um, if you haven't met her, you, sh- you should. Um, you probably heard our daughter Martha earlier. She was the little girl screaming as we carried her out. But um, the reason I share some of that, one, is you should know my family. They're great. But also... Um, it you know relates to this passage a ton because the more I reflected on um, our daughter Martha and even just how she got her name, uh, it was one of the first compromises in our marriage. So Morgan and I have been married for about a year, and we're trying to decide once we got pregnant, uh, what's what's our daughter's name going to be. At that point, we found out it's going to be a girl, and we went back and forth. We had a list of fifty; they got down to about seven, and we got to the end, and there was two or three that both of us liked. The other one was like, no, that's not it. That's not it, Morgan. We can't choose that one. And finally, our compromise, well, great. We want to have multiple kids. You name all the girls. I'll name all the boys. We'll call it quits. So it's great. Um, she is clearly ahead in our uh, current situation. We have only had one girl so far, so she's 100% right now. But um, what makes today really interesting and fun is that our passage actually speaks of Martha and Mary. So... We are not that holy. We didn't name our daughter after this woman in our passage today. But it has proven uh, time and again to be really uh, providential that God has chosen (coughs) to give us this name Martha for our daughter because as you're going to see today, um, the woman in this passage really does reflect myself and my wife a ton. uh, Just in how we seek to earn God's favor by working really hard to honor Him um, instead of just resting in Him like her sister married us. So I'm going to read the passage and then we'll pray and then we'll get started. So we are in Luke 10, 38 through 42. We've been going through a series called Encounters with Jesus. And yet again, we're going to see what Jesus does when he runs into these two women today. So read with me. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted by much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. The word of the Lord. Father God, thank you again for this day that where we can gather here, we can 
hear your word preached even through a broken instrument like me and that, Father, as we've already sang um, and confessed, Lord, you are our only hope in life and in death. And, Lord, we are made to glorify and enjoy you. Lord, I pray that we would do that this morning, that you would speak through your word, that we would hear you anew, and that you would give us a fresh perspective on what it means to be a follower and a disciple of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So here's my two points today. We have two sisters. Each of them displays something new. The first one, Martha is distracted by serving. And the second one, Mary is discipled by sitting. So if you looked at this passage very long, um, you may be like me, sitting here saying, you know, what, what is wrong with Martha here, right? What is the rebuke for that Jesus says, no, 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 your sister has chosen the good portion, which means that her portion is better than what you have chosen. What makes this even more interesting is if you look in your Bible, the passage just before this in Luke 10, Jesus is teaching about the Good Samaritan. If you know the story of the Good Samaritan, there's a man who comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, I've done all these things. Um, what else do I need to do? He says, love your neighbor as yourself. And the man thinks he's got Jesus tricked and says, okay, well, who's my neighbor? Jesus tells this parable about these three men, two religious re- leaders and rulers who walk by a man on the side of the road who's been beaten and left for dead. And a third man who comes from the tribe of Samaria, which would have been the most um, looked down upon people in the Jewish community. This man instead comes and takes care of the man, nurses him back to health, leaves money for him to be taken care of. And Jesus says, who therefore proved to be a good neighbor? And the man says, the one who showed mercy. And when you think about that, and then you see this context, it makes no sense that the one who showed mercy Labor and mercy and hospitality in Martha is the one who is rebuked by Jesus. There's lots of good questions here. How is she choosing the bad portion? She's serving Jesus, taking care of the other folks that are with Him. She's meeting physical needs, doing these lowly jobs reserved for servants, which would have been approved and even blessed by Jesus in many other aspects. But today, instead, He says that she has chosen the bad portion. How could this be? Is Jesus advocating that we just stop serving, that we don't listen to what He says about hospitality, that we stop caring for others, stop meeting physical needs? No. We know that's not true, though we don't know yet how that fits in this passage. So, how is Martha at fault here? Well, let's take a look at her actions again. So, starting 38, it says, Jesus entered her house. So we know that Jesus was excited to join her for some company to bring some of the people that were following him in for a meal, and she was very, very happy to host him. If you look at the other places in the gospel where Jesus enters homes or gives the disciples instructions on entering a home, he always says, go to someone who offers peace. And if they don't offer peace, go to the next house. Wipe your feet off, kick the dust off your feet, wipe your hands, and go to the next place. So the fact that Jesus even enters her home, she hosts him, shows that there is something about this woman that he finds enticing and peaceful. Something she's doing is godly and is going to be a blessing to him and the men with him and the women with him. So we see that she's scrambling, trying to make this perfect meal for Jesus, offering her very best efforts to make him comfortable and meet a very real need. So again, nothing wrong yet. We don't know why she's been rebuked yet. Let's keep going. So while it's a very good thing to serve others, to open your home, to meet the needs of others, what she's doing that causes Jesus to finally rebuke her is that when she starts getting mad at her sister because she won't help her. 
I don't know if you have a sister. Um, I have one. I'm thankful she's here today. And she can attest to this um, if you want to ask her afterwards. But there were many times growing up when our mom would give us a task of things to do. And she would immediately start working on it. And I would be playing Xbox or watching TV. And rightfully so, she would be upset that I was not helping, right? You can picture that. You can see us sitting there um, arguing about this. And, you know, I'll do it later. I'm playing games. I'm busy. You know, do something else, Rachel. And like any other wise, intelligent child, she said, well, I'm telling mom. I'm going to call mom and tell her you're not helping me. Uh, which, again, sounds really fair, right? She's out here grinding, working on stuff, and I'm just hanging out, shooting the bull, not doing anything important, not pulling my weight, not helping. And that's what Martha's feeling here, right? She is preparing her home. She's making a meal. She's doing lots of labor. This is far more work than calling DoorDash, right? Like, she is putting in lots of her own physical labor in order to make ends meet here so that she can feed her award. But the problem is, when she goes to Jesus thinking that he's going to get his help. Instead, Jesus says, Martha, Martha, your sister has chosen the good portion. Right? Again, I'm firmly on Team Martha here. If this was my, uh, my passage, I was writing this in John's Gospel, if I was guessing what Jesus was going to say, I for sure thought it would have been a rebuke of Mary and not Martha. But what it comes down to is this. Martha's doing a really good job and a really good thing in serving Jesus. But what Jesus is trying to teach her and teach us is that from the very beginning, we are made to be with God. We are designed from Adam and Eve in the garden till the end of time, all eternity, to spend our life worshiping and spending all of our time adoring Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit. See, every other religion in the world says, you do enough to please the God or gods or this ruler, and then he allows you to be a part of what he's doing. He blesses you. He doesn't destroy you. You have life. You might have some promise of something to come in the afterlife. But only our God says, no, no, no. You can come to me. You'll never do enough to please me. And that's okay. Because I'm going to pay the cost. I'm going to do whatever it takes for you to be with me again, even though you don't deserve it and you can never earn it yourself. See, we are image bearers of the Father, sons and daughters of the Most High. And incredibly, inexplicably, inexplicably, He actually wants to be with us. See, what Martha forgot was this, that she was made in need of God, but separated from Him by her sin. And yet, here He was, the Creator of the universe, sitting in her home, enjoying a meal made by her, Yet instead of enjoying her presence, she was so concerned and consumed with serving Him that she couldn't just enjoy Him. She was so concerned with making bread that she forgot that Jesus was the bread of life and He was offering Himself to her for absolutely nothing. Here's a rebuke of Martha again and how loving it really is. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. He's saying, Martha, I love you. I'm so thankful for your labor and what you're trying to do, but your heart is divided. You have so many anxieties, so many things that you're trying to do and worry about. Why don't you come sit with me? Let me take those away from you. I know you want to serve me. I know you want to love me. Why don't you just come sit and let me do what I do? Let me take away those things that are so painful, even if just for a moment. 
See, she felt burdened and guilty that she must prove her love to Jesus by serving Him. But all He wants for her is to let her, let Him serve her. See, we try to earn God's love to prove to Him that we are worthy of it. That we can't believe that God would love us, let alone like us. I think it's the very core of who we are. In spite of our brokenness, I think it's, it's hard to believe that He would love us sometimes. I think for me it's far harder to believe that He would actually like me. When I see God, when I picture Him sitting on His throne in heaven, I think of a righteous king. That you know, I'm, I'm unworthy, but graciously accepting the, the ability to be His foot soldier, to serve Him, love Him, and to be just part of what He's doing. But to see Him as a father is really hard. It's really hard for me to comprehend that sometimes. That He would love me just because I'm His son. That for no reason other than He made me, that He has given everything for me. And I think, those of you who have children understand this probably a little better than most of us, that um, there's something to <laughs> I love you because you're mine. right? Like my, my daughter Martha has helped me in this in so many ways that she has reframed how I see God so much because I see her in a way that my own parents see me. So think about this. If our, our standards were what mine typically are, which is you are valuable to me if you do something, if you can serve me, if you help me, if you bring something new to my life or you add something to it, then you're valuable and you're worthy of you know, my own love and attention and energy. But this little girl that I have does none of those things for me, right? She makes my life a lot harder. She makes me change diapers, and she spills my coffee, and she makes me carry her around when all I want to do is sit. But, as most of you will know, it doesn't matter. I love her more than anything in the world just because she's mine. I would give my own life for her, and yet she doesn't add any uh, visible abundance to my life. But if I, who am a bad father would lay down my own life for my daughter. and I would give so much for her. I would love and serve her in so many ways, though she can't repay that in any way. How much more does our Heavenly Father love us and want to care for us, even when we're so unnecessary for His task? <laughs> um, I really struggle with wanting to be valuable for the Lord. That's, I would say my core doubt and fear is that I'm not going to be useful, that God can't use me, therefore He doesn't love me. And... All those things are lies that Satan tempts him with so often, but there really is some beauty to realize that he's kind of right. I don't give anything to God that he needs. I'm so invaluable to him that it makes no sense why he would ever allow me to take part in what he's doing. But that's exactly what a good father does. right? He invites you to take part in what he's doing, even though it's going to make his life more difficult. Right, I think back to my dad works on cars, and he's extremely gifted at that, and I am not at all. Um, I can't do anything to fix my car except change a tire, maybe. Um, but I can remember holding a flashlight for my dad as he was working on cars, and that was all I can contribute. And honestly, I wasn't very good at holding a flashlight, right? I couldn't hold it straight. I was looking around, watching everything else was going on. I'm sure it wasn't helpful at all. But he invited me in on that, whether he even thought about it or not, just because he loves me. He wanted me to be a part of and to love what he loves. And I'm thankful for that, that our Heavenly Father is very similar. He doesn't need us, but he chooses to invite us in to make his life more difficult, to make his task harder to do, because he loves us so much that he wants us to be a part of it.
and to have a taste and to share His glory. So it's worth noting, when Jesus took on flesh, when He was born of a woman, entered His own creation that He made, He took on all the limitations of humanity. Right? He wasn't unaffected by things like we have, like hunger and thirst and tiredness. He had all those things. He voluntarily accepted all these boundaries. So he probably was hungry when he showed up in Mary's, or Martha's house. He probably was tired. But what he knew, and what he's trying to teach Martha and us, is that as much as his needs are very real, our need for him is so much bigger. That's what he's trying to tell Martha here. Thank you so much for meeting my needs and serving me, but don't you see you need me far more than I need these physical needs met? Martha was not wrong to serve others by cooking and cleaning, but her bitterness at, at Mary for choosing to sit at Jesus' feet was misplaced because while she was working hard to show the, love, the Lord her love, Mary was doing the same thing. It was Mary, not Martha, who understood that the gift of His presence was far greater than anything they could do for Jesus. You see, when the Pharisees asked Jesus why His followers didn't fast like the other disciples in the day, he says, when the bridegroom is here, it's not a time to fast. It's a time to celebrate. It's a time to enjoy all that He has done. But one day, they will fast. One day, when the bridegroom is no longer here, they will fast because they will seek to be with Him again. See, the bridegroom was there. Jesus was in their presence. Why would they do anything besides celebrate? Mary got this, but Martha still needed to be reminded that while her service was valuable, it wasn't the season for service but for enjoying Jesus. I've heard Marshall say before, you know, if Jesus came to your home, would you, spend, would you go upstairs and read the Bible and you know, pray and do all the things we do right now to be with God? Or would you go downstairs and spend time with Jesus? Right? The answer is easy. If Jesus is here, why are we trying to connect to Him through all these other ways that we've been given, which are blessings, when we have the, the full experience right at our fingertips? The same thing's happening in our passage today. And our confession that we just read gives us a great picture of this. The dichotomy of our confession is that what we are made for is to enjoy God and to glorify Him forever. Some others have rephrased it this way. It's we glorify God by enjoying Him forever. That is the chief end of man. That's the point. That's the purpose of our life is that we would glorify God most in enjoying Him. So let's see what Mary did to choose this good portion to enjoy Jesus rightly. So, if, Mary, if Martha is distracted by serving, Mary is being discipled by sitting. Jesus tells Martha one thing is necessary, and Mary has chosen that good thing, and it will not be taken from her. So, what was this one thing? What was the necessary thing that Mary chose that Martha missed out on? It's Jesus. <laughs> Who He is and what He has to offer is what the good portion is. We read Psalm 16 earlier, but it bears repeating says, The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. He holds my lot. I have set the Lord always before me, because He is my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. You may know to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. He is the good portion. He upholds us makes our heart glad, secures us, brings to us fullness of joy and pleasures evermore. What a portion. Food and drink, which Martha was preparing, is indeed important, but it's not necessary like Jesus is. 
Jesus tells us this Himself in John 4. He says, My food is to do the will of My Father in heaven. And in that same passage, He offers the living water so that those who drink will never thirst. Jesus did need real water and real food, but what He has to offer us is something far better. While Martha is running ragged trying to prepare dinner, Mary sits at the feet of Jesus. And again, I think I would be fully on Team Martha. To me, this doesn't make a ton of sense. But what we see when Jesus explains here is that He is what's needed. He is most necessary. Similar to the woman who anointed Jesus the night before His betrayal, Mary is the one who lays aside all else to worship and learn from her Lord. It's in fact this posture that is most important. All of us who are made in God's image, God has invited into His presence. How foolish would we be not to accept His invitation because we are consumed with doing other things for Him. See, Mary was not distracted as Martha was. She was captured by Jesus. And this is the good portion she found. Jesus rebukes Martha, but doesn't explicitly call her to join Mary. Instead, He tells her how good the thing Mary has chosen is. He invites her into His presence as well. Here's what Augustine says, preaching the same passage. He says this to Martha, "...that which thou hast chosen shall be taken away, but to thy blessedness shall it be taken away. That which is better may be given." For labor shall be taken away from thee, that rest may be given. Thou art still on the sea, and she, Mary, is already in port. The Lord in His kindness takes away her labors for her good, that she might have rest in Him. Has God ever done that to you? Taken away the things you've worked the hardest for, made your labors fruitless, all so that we could rest in Him instead? that we could see good outside of ourselves, of our own work, that God doesn't want us to simply labor and bring our labors to Him. Instead, He wants us to be strengthened by His labors. It's in these perceived weaknesses that we have most often seen God strengthen us. Now, I think it bears repeating and at least sharing with you all that for the record, Martha did redeem her name this week. I know you guys have been sitting on the edge of your seat waiting for this, but... Um, I have been gone for four or five days with our work, and my parents had graciously taken Martha for the weekend to give Morgan a break and let her rest a little bit after parenting alone for a while. And we met at, uh, in Richmond at the new Bucky's, which all of y'all should go see. It's amazing. Um, but as we met in Bucky's, there's thousands of people running all over the place, and Martha's in her uh, stroller, and my parents and sister are taking care of her, and um, she finally found me in this crowd of, you know, thousands of people at this gas station, and um, the first thing she did was she just started smiling and shaking, and when she gets really excited, her whole body just shakes. And, uh, she couldn't stand not being in my arms, so she's like pulling herself out of the seat, so I finally got her out and holding her, and she just bounced and shook and hugged me and kissed me for almost five minutes. It was the highlight of my parenting life by far. Um, but what what I learned from that, reflecting on it this week, is that, man, that's how God feels about us. He doesn't, I didn't ask Martha to come bring me a souvenir back to my mom's house. Right? I, didn't, I didn't ask her to do anything for me so that I would love her. Um, I just loved her because she was there. Right? Like She didn't do anything except um, give me this huge hug. Right? And that was what I wanted more than anything. And I think it's good for us to remember that that's how our Father sees us. 
that He doesn't need your labor. He doesn't need your efforts. He allows you graciously to be a part of what He's doing. What He wants is you. What He wants is your heart, your love, your affections, your joy. And I think that's really important for us to remember. Uh, the first application to, to being like Mary today is for those of us who uh, struggle with this idea, that think we have to earn God's love and His favor, that we would instead take on a posture of Mary, that we would rest in God's ability to accomplish His works outside of us so that we can enjoy just being a part of them, that we could prioritize the worship and enjoyment of Him over all else. Now again, it seems like Mary didn't do anything here. She sits at Jesus' feet, and that doesn't sound very effective. But if you read it again, it says that she, where'd it go? She sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching, right? This isn't a passivity um, of just resting, trusting that God's going to do it all for you. He just changes you magically. No, there is effort here. So, my first application is this that for many of us, what we need is to stop trying to carry the burden of earning God's love and instead rest in his presence. Instead of laboring and doing so much for Him, we need to take the time to stop and spend time in prayer. If you're like me and doing things feels far more efficient and helpful and, and worthy of effort, uh, prayer can be really hard because uh, it means that you stop and it feels like you're not doing anything. You're just telling God what you need or you're sitting and listening to Him. But the reality is that's what we need far more than anything else. We need to be silent for the Lord and along to speak with Him. Application number two is this. For those that need our hearts and minds refocused, that don't struggle to sit, but struggle maybe to listen and to learn from Jesus, it's that you need to know this. Mary said no to many things. In order to be in Jesus' presence, she had to say no to her family who were upset with her. She had to not do anything else. So her to-do list didn't get touched. And she also wasn't distracted. She wasn't scrolling on TikTok or gossiping about Martha. She was fully engaged in capturing Jesus' words and teaching. She was spending time with her Lord, learning and admiring how wonderful He is. This is very different than scrolling on social media or going to fancy brunch with your girlfriends or playing golf with the boys. This isn't idle resting. It is prioritizing time in God's presence. And that is what we need. Sitting in silence before Him, reading His Word, meditating on who He is, needs to replace our screen time and our other, other faulty ideas of resting in His presence. And dare I say it, application number three, the one we need far more than anything else, that is hardest for our generation, for our church, for every church out there after this pandemic, is this. You need this hour more than you need anything else in your week. More than reading God's Word, Maybe even more than prayer, you need corporate worship. I know, that's a crazy, crazy idea. Sounds almost heretical, but listen, here's my, here's my defense. For thousands of years, when people couldn't read, when there were no printed Bibles, what did God do to teach and feed and lead His people for generation after generation after generation? They came to corporate worship. They came to the tabernacle or the temple or the church. That is where God has met His people, where He has taught them through ordained pastors and leaders and artists and amazing people who have given their life, who have been called by the Lord and equipped to teach His people. It is through those God has divinely appointed us 
to be under, and the means of grace which He promises at this meeting by which we are most often changed. So, what do we do? What do we come here for? Well, one, we come to worship. We come to worship the God that we've been talking about. We come to take communion. We come and receive those means of grace that are only available by in-person corporate worship with the people of God. Listen, the world around us is discipling us in many ways. And almost all of them lead us away from our Lord. We need rhythms to be discipled back into the love of our Father. We need to slowly disciple those things out of us and disciple Him into us. You will be amazed at just how much God can do in your life if you're just committed to those three things. Prayer, God's Word, and most importantly, corporate worship. And finally, friends, I would be remiss not to speak um, to my friends here who would say, Wayne, my chief end is definitely glorify myself, right? Like, that's great for you all. Go glorify Jesus. But I'm not in a place where I can say that. Uh, you know, I would, I would give my life to follow someone else, but maybe not Jesus, maybe a spouse or a job. But I'm not ready to trust Him to carry these burdens. And friends, I understand. It's a, it's a big ask of someone to lay your life down and commit your life to following someone else. I understand that. I agree. Your, your anxiety, your unwillingness to do that is well-founded because in our world, that is proven to fail over and over again. But here would be my call to you, is to consider what kind of God we've worshipped here today. No other God has accepted us as we are, has called us in spite of our brokenness to Himself. Every other God has asked us to prove our loveliness to them to be disciplined enough to keep all the rules, to make them happy, to bring enough value to be worthy. But God doesn't say that. He also doesn't say that you can live however you want and He'll just ignore all your idolatry. Instead, He says, come sit at my feet and learn from me. See, when I mentioned earlier that the Pharisees were rebuked for their fasting, we didn't finish that conversation. Jesus doesn't say that they'll never fast. He doesn't even say He'll be with them forever. He did say that while the bridegroom was here, there was no need to fast. But he also promised one day that bridegroom was going to leave. You see, shortly after this passage that we read, the bridegroom does leave. He doesn't abandon his disciples and his followers. He doesn't choose new ones that are better. No, instead, he lays down his life for those broken disciples that are all messed up like you and I. Shortly after this passage, he would carry his cross to the hill of Calvary to die for all those people who had let him down over and over again, and for all of us who will eventually let him down over and over again. He took on all of our bad portions so that we wouldn't have to. He chose to suffer and die, to be forsaken by the Father, to have the Father look away from him for the first time in all eternity so that he would never forsake us. So there would never be a time when God had to look away from you and I. And thankfully, as we celebrated two weeks ago, Jesus didn't remain dead. He rose to new life. And He accomplished for all time our salvation. And now offers it to all who would call upon His name and admit their need for Him and submit to His Lordship. Friends, this is what the God of the universe invited us into. A real relationship with Him and His people where our love and service flows out of what He has already done, not what we can do to earn it. It's not using the means of, by which 
we earn His love or His care. And I pray that as we share this meal together as a family of God today, that you would consider what kind of God it is who prepares a table before you and invites you to join Him instead of demanding that you make Him a satisfactory meal or serve up a satisfactory life. Let's pray. Lord, I do thank You. Um, Father, we are so unworthy. We are just like Your disciples who promise and covenant to follow You and yet fail time and again. Lord, we need grace once again. Meet us at this table as You offer to Your body and blood not just physical bread and wine. Lord, we need You. I pray that You give us more of Yourself that. Father, you would give us the posture of Mary, that we would learn from you, that we would care for you, that we would worship you, and that we would have a heart like Martha, that we would serve, meet the needs of others, that we would be good Samaritans, that we would really do lay down our life for others, that after we have learned and worshiped you, you would equip us to go forth into your world and be good neighbors. Thank you for your word. Thank you for what you've done for us. Thank you that you carried that cross, took our bad portions, and have offered us the ultimately good portion of Yourself. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.